glad that you're here. If this is your first time here, welcome. I hope that you feel welcomed. I hope that you feel accepted. And um, we'd ask one thing of you this morning, if this is your first time here, we'd love to hear from you how you heard about Southbridge. So if you take some time this morning and fill out the connection card, which you can find attached to your bulletin, and take that up to the first time guest kiosk, we have a gift for you. Also want to remind you that today being a fifth Sunday, uh, we are doing a $1 offering. So if you brought your $1 or more, you can drop that off on your way out of the theater this morning to support um, our um, short-term missionaries that are going to Madagascar to take medical aid uh, to our missionaries there that are working with um, the people of Madagascar. And so you've been prayerfully considering that, or even during this service, uh, maybe your heart would be um, convinced to sacrifice toward that. It's going toward um, a gospel cause. This morning we are continuing our uh, Fruit of the Spirit series called Supernatural, and I think about supernatural gifts, I think about like flying, or like the power to move you, or whatever, and that usually uh, does love, joy, and peace come to my mind, but who could use some more of that, love, joy, and peace? And ironically, I had the privilege of sharing with you about patience this morning. It might as well be any of the fruit, because I feel like a hypocrite. I've got um, a big gap in my life that needs to be filled with more of the Spirit to live this way. And uh, so what I'm hoping is that the Lord will meet us here. Did you come this morning expecting an encounter with God? I, ho- I hope so. So let's go to him and ask him to be our teacher as we dig into this, uh, this idea of patience. Lord, this morning we recognize that you are our Lord and you are our hope. We know, Lord, that no one else is coming to save us. You are the one. So we gather in your name. Your renown is on our lips. And we subject ourselves to your word Lord, we don't desire to just throw on some nice biblical principles. We want to subject ourselves to your word. We want to be changed so that then you could use us as instruments of life change in a city that needs you so badly. We need you badly. Would you instruct us this morning? Would you inform us, illuminate our hearts? Lord, only you can change a life. And we are, as a church family, submitting ourselves to you daily. And Lord, our desire and our expectation is that you would meet us here. We pray, Lord, that you'd keep the accuser from this place, um, doubt and despair, discouragement, Lord, from this place, that we may be finding joy in your word this morning and the promises found therein. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. If you have a copy of the scriptures, please turn to Galatians chapter 5 as we continue our supernatural series. We, uh, several months ago, took time to talk through and preach through and speak through the book of Galatians. That's expositional teaching, verse to verse. And now we're just kind of going back and just focusing on a few verses and somewhat doing a topical um, experience this summer. And we are in the middle of it. And where we see these characteristics, this fruit of the Spirit, to give you context and to remind you of what this letter is about. This letter was written by a church planner named Paul, an apostle who was informed by Christ and, and was teaching the gospel after his life was changed to other people and churches were planted. And then he would write these letters. And this is a letter that was written to a church that needed help. The reason why the church needed help is because there was people in it, <laughs> just like our church. And we need help. We need God's help. Wherever there's people, there's imperfection. And so this church needs to be encouraged. They accepted the gospel wholeheartedly, but now there's been a shift. Some people have recognized that since Christ has come to reign and rule in their hearts and that he's forgiven their sin and they're heaven-bound, they think that because of that freedom and that license, they can live however they want with no consequence or that it doesn't matter. In a sense, an idea of abusing grace, and Paul is saying, not so fast. 
Your life matters. It matters to God and how you live matters. And you should live a life that flows from the Spirit, that's in step with the Spirit, that's obeying God so that the world may know that the Father sent the Son. There was also another group that started shifting a bit in their thought that once they had received grace from God, they thought they maintained that grace by God by doing good things. And since they thought that God loved them more by doing the rules, by their performance. And that couldn't be further from the gospel of grace. Isn't that right? And some of us really struggle with that. I struggle with that. I don't struggle so much that I do good things so I can go to heaven, but I struggle with the idea that God's not liking me or good with me unless I'm performing well. And that's a lie. He couldn't love me any more than he does. And for God so loved the world, what did he do? He sent his son. And so that's the gospel that Paul was preaching. That's the gospel that we preach. And so Paul is trying to help people that are battled. He's writing to Christians. And so this morning we're speaking to believers. And as you get to chapter 5, we see a strong encouragement, a strong command that Christians ought to be living life in the Spirit of God. We know that those who have Christ have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Jesus. You're not in Christ. You're not heaven-bound. Your life is not being radically transformed by the power of God unless you have Christ and the Holy Spirit. So verse 16 of chapter 5 is where we're at. And then we're going to talk about the fruit of patience. He writes this in verse 16 to these new believers. So I say, live by the Spirit. And how do you do that? Through obedience. We don't want to downplay obedience in the local church. We only test and see that the scriptures are true by is in as much as that we apply it and live it. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Anyone ever experienced that before? <laughs> they are in conflict with each other, so you do not do what you want. Hmm. He must know my life. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, those who practice this, those that engage in a lifestyle perpetually and not seeking to be, have Christ as the Savior, the throne, and the King and the throne of their hearts, they'll not enter the kingdom of God. That's heavy, isn't it? Because that, that basically gets all of us. So it almost sounds like, make sure you don't do these things so you can go to heaven. So here's the deal. Here's something to put into your life and put in your mind. Heaven-bound people aren't heaven-bound because they're good. Heaven-bound people reflect the life of Christ. So I don't, I don't try to live according to the Spirit so that I can gain heaven. Because I have heaven, I want to live by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So that's what he's saying. People that have the Spirit are people that want to live by the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A byproduct of getting to know God and him reproducing himself in your life for the sake of other people, by the way, and the glory of God, is, are these characteristics. Against such thing there is no law. Go ahead and participate in these as much as you'd like. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And that's an already not yet principle. It has been crucified and we are crucifying it over and over, daily dying to self. And sometimes we win and sometimes we lose. Isn't that right? But the Lord is faithful. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. So we see this list, love, joy, peace, patience. And, you know, when you look at that, I think love, I need more of that, joy, more of that. Peace, for sure. Peace is the antidote to anxiety. Does anybody struggle with anxiety? Anxiety is I have an uncertainty about my goals and what I want happening. I probably had my biggest fit of anxiety maybe 10 days ago. 
The peace of God, I need to trust in the Lord. But patience, and this is not one that we think of often. And so I thought maybe for those of you that think, you know what, those first three are me, Jason, but patience, I got this one down. Maybe these will resonate with you. You might need the Spirit's patience if waiting in a checkout line, you see two options and you choose one, but you watch the alternate version of you where you would have been and if you beat yourself. You might have a problem. If you keep getting frustratingly surprised that 17-year-olds at the fast food drive-thru don't care about your food and your time like you do, you might need some patience. In fact, one time I went to a Durham uh, Burger King. It's right by my house. And uh, I waited 28 minutes for a cheeseburger in the drive-thru. But I couldn't leave. See, some of you would leave, wouldn't you? But I had to stay out of the principle of thing. You're not going to beat me. <laughs> but who guess, guess who was really bothered? Because they didn't say sorry or anything. And I didn't say anything. We just smiled, exchanged some money, and drove off me. I need it. This is just my list, by the way. I'm just reading you my list. That's a lot of the ideas came to me because they're mine. If you throw any kind of remote control in any direction. Okay. If you keep attempting to find happiness by spending money you don't have on things you don't need. Or no one's laughing. Yeah. The point of a message is to make people feel bad, by the way. If you make these sounds <laughs> so often in response to people that your spouse thinks you have developed a speech problem, you might have a patience issue. <laughs> I just did it. I'm impatient with myself. If you get angry with those that drive slower than you in the passing lane but also pass faster than you when you're in the non-passing lane, you probably have a problem because everyone's wrong but you. Yeah. You think that you determine the speed at which everyone should go. Right. Arrogance is a seed that leads to impatience. If you get ticked off that your child acts like a child, it's your problem. You might need the Spirit's patience. If you put something in the microwave for one minute and you take it out at 53 seconds, done, you probably have a problem. Because here's the deal. If you put it at 53 seconds, you probably take it out at 46, huh? Yeah. That's a problem. You can't wait one minute. Patience is an issue. And patience is the antidote, actually, to anger. And we get angry when we can't control things. We get angry when people behave in a way that we don't think they should. It ends up becoming our problem. And so patience is a God-given attribute. Other translations of the word would be um, long-suffering or forbearance. Patience is the Holy Spirit-given quality of, of waiting, of being contented, and especially of our enduring under provocation when others are upon us with their words or actions. In life, it looks like the ability to bear up under the oversights and wrongs afflicted by others without retaliating anger. One of the things that really bothers me is when I'm on an airplane and we come, to, um, we come to land and we come up to the jet bridge, but the sign isn't on yet to undo belts and people already have their belts undone and are waiting in line and aren't going to let me go. I feel like it's upon myself to make people wait. So what I do is I take my belt off and I wait, but I don't go forward. I'm teaching all of them a lesson. That's actually my problem. You're not following the rule. I'm going to make you follow the rule. But this is a little bit different than a kind of patience that's up under the provocation of others. Have you ever been spoken against because you love Jesus? Or you've said that Jesus is the way? Where does patience fit in in your response? 
See, that truth is, the truth is that patience is, is truly unattainable by human effort. That's why it's supernatural. It fits under the supernatural series that we hear. That's why it's um, from the Spirit of God. So who needs this kind of patience? Anybody? The truth is that impatient leads, impatience leads to stress, frustration, anger. And that impatience is a form, is a form of selfishness. And ultimately, impatience reveals how we amplify ourselves. Our wants, our timetable, our plan, and our lack of trust in God's timing, his power, and his love. Anyone need this kind of patience? Scriptures give us several positive examples of patience. Patience being... um, uh, uh, an understanding and contentedness with God's timetable, events and circumstances, with God's allowing trials and suffering, with God's allowing us to um, bear with others and their weaknesses and their offensives, offensiveness. There's examples of this in scripture. We see that James lists a few for us. He says that the prophets of old were examples of patience in the face of suffering. And James also writes about Job. A man who endured great suffering and trial. You can read that book of the Bible if you'd like. It's spelled Job. You can read it. And he went under some, some terrible tragedies. But Job was rewarded with perseverance, is what James writes. In the book of Hebrews, we read about the Old Testament hero of our faith, Abraham. And in, in Hebrews writes that he received what was promised. He patiently waited for what the Lord promised. Of course, Jesus is the greatest demonstration of all of these. Love, joy, peace, patience. Love is a yielding to another's best interest. Joy, which is above circumstances, right? Happiness is related to happenstance, things that happen to us. And joy is above that love, peace, a peace of a trusting that God is who he says he is and that we are who we are in light of who he is. And then we have this patience. Jesus is the amazing example of this. I'm really confronted and conflicted when I read in the scriptures when Jesus stands before this fake, this mock trial that's happening in evening right before his death, which is also against the law. You can't have evening trials like this. And do you remember what happens in this fake trial? People come to accuse him. The prosecutors come against him and they say things about him that aren't true. Do you remember this? Do you remember what Jesus' response is when people say things about him that aren't true? That same response. He said nothing. See, my wiring is this. If someone says something about my friend that's not true, do you know what I do? I fill the space up with my voice. Because <laughs> it's a justice issue, isn't it? If someone were to say something to me, I can't stand it when someone says something I didn't say. Sounds like middle school, doesn't it? <laughs> so I lack this patience. You know why Jesus says nothing? Because let's say he says something and convinces them that they're wrong. Now he doesn't have to go to the cross and the mission's been compromised. So speaking would be anti-mission in that regard. He's so wise, isn't he? We see this with Jesus as he's engaging his disciples. This just come to my mind this morning. Do you remember a, a, a time in scripture, maybe you grew up in church and you remember this story, where little ones, people were bringing the little ones to Jesus, which is a strong implication that God's into children, that he loves them and wants them to know him. And people are bringing their children to Jesus and Jesus is blessing them and, and, and enjoying them in the company of their family. But at one point, some parents or people are bringing children to them and the disciples tell Jesus to what? They tell Jesus we don't want to be bothered with these. They tell these parents, hey, don't bother Jesus right now. He's too busy for kids, right? And then what does Jesus do? He like confronts them, but he does, no, let them come. See, why, why is God so slow to anger like this? Why doesn't he just say, you disciples don't get it, you're out. New disciples, 12 new disciples. 
One time, Jesus is, is preaching and saying basically to the disciples, what's going to happen? And he's going to die on the cross. And Peter comes to him and says, that's never going to happen. <laughs> and Jesus says, you know, oh, Peter, Satan's requested to sift you, but I've been praying for you. So patient. Why didn't you say, you don't get it yet. I'm done with you. You always open your mouth, and every time you do, it's opposite God stuff. Next person. Of course, God the Father is an extreme example of his patience and his forbearance in, in the wrongs of this world. We read this in he, uh, Psalm 103, verse 8. The scriptures say that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. See, have you ever wondered before what God's up to when bad things are happening in this world? Has this thought ever come to your mind? And just answer in your own mind, because you don't want to embarrass yourself probably as a good Christian, right? That God's not in control. Have you ever had this thought before, like, where is God when these naughty things happen in the world or people being harmed? Or things in your own life, people are against you and you wonder where God is? You're probably questioning, actually, his patience. See, some wonder if God even cares about the bad things that happen in this world or wonder if God notices that from time to time bad thing, good things happen to bad people. But here's the truth. Number one, God's justice is satisfied on his terms. Most chiefly, his justice is satisfied through Christ, who died for sins he didn't commit, which sounds unjust, right? But it's satisfied as his justice because we deserve his wrath. Amazing. So God's justice is satisfied in his terms. Number two, his wrath is being withheld from now, for now. There is a time that wrath is coming, and it's not, it's not yet. You don't have to be angry. See, the misunderstanding about supernatural patience, though, and we put this on God when we look around the world and we wonder, how can God have such great forbearance? We question it. We question his, his authority. We question his sovereignty, his all-knowingness when we see that wicked people prosper. We're, we're, not, con we're not sure what God's up to. And we, what we start thinking in our minds sometimes, we're tempted to think that, um, that patience is permissive. And this is where some people, when they start doing wrong things and they start being engaged by people that preach the gospel, and they say, well, I've been doing these wrong things so far. God's not done anything. They think that God's being permissive. And some Christians perpetuate this idea too, that God is cool with sin is the idea. Because you look around, I don't see God judging anybody. That's, that's supposing upon his patience. It's not permissive. It doesn't think that sin or injustice is okay. And God's patience in us, his patience through us is not passive. God's patience revealed through us is a relentless trust in all that we do and all that we cannot do that God will deal with everything in perfect justice. That's Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 and will accomplish his purposes, Isaiah 46 10. God's style of patience pl placed in us frees us from the need to be angry. We have classes in churches most often. We have classes about money, money management classes. But it, there's also classes in our world called anger management classes. I don't want to manage my anger. I don't want anger. I don't want to save up anger for later like I would money and then pull it out when I need to buy something. I want it to be eradicated. See, when we live by the Spirit, we receive supernatural patience. We have the Lord's strength in us then to respond to life in complete trust in the Father's power and purpose. And this is directly then related to how we engage other people, isn't it? First believers for sure, and then the rest of the world. This is why it comes to Paul's mind, I think, when the Apostle Paul explains what true love is to a church in Corinth. And it's a very popular passage, especially in the summers for weddings, even weddings that aren't interested in like a marriage that's under God or people that are trying to get married with God's purposes in mind. This, this passage is oftentimes read in those weddings. Do you know what it is? First Corinthians chapter 13, he goes, he writes about love and he says, love is 
the first thing he says. Love is patient. Love is patient because patience is a dying to selfishness. And following Christ is a daily dying to self. And true love is selfless. Love is a choice to yield to another's best interest. And impatience is selfishness. And where there is selfishness, there is not love. The scriptures command that believers in Christ are to to live patiently, chiefly with one another. And that is so hard, isn't it? Especially when someone's being unlovely. But just a reminder, God doesn't love you and I because we're so lovely. It's because he is. The scriptures say this, and I'll read some for you. Patiently bearing with one another in love, Ephesians 4, verse 2. Patient with the idle, the faint-hearted, and the weak, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. Being patient in tribulation, that's Romans 12, verse 12. Patiently enduring evil, that's a tough one. 2 Timothy 2, 24. And patient until the coming of the Lord, James 5, 7. See, these aren't suggestions for the Christian life, by the way. These are mandates. This is what the Christian life looked like. How, how's it going? These are descriptions of how the Christian will live when filled with the Spirit of God, when stepping with the Spirit as we obey. We have this prompting, hey, serve yourself in this moment. Start getting angry in this moment. They're not doing what you want them to do. Or they're saying rude things. Or they're being naughty. Confront them. Do this. And the Spirit's saying, just, be, just wait. Be patient. Do I step with that or do I step with myself? And so how can we grow in patience? That's the question, isn't it? What part can we play in the development of patience in our life, if you're interested. You can keep living angry, and I can. We can keep living with anxiety, but there's another way. It's the way of the Spirit of God in us. So the question we have to ask is, how can we grow in it? So how can we cooperate with the Spirit of God? And it's really not about building patience, because only the Spirit can do that, because it's supernatural. So how can I um, cooperate with the Holy Spirit to create an environment in my soul where he can produce patience in my life? Isn't that the better question then? What can I do to cooperate to create an environment in my soul where he can develop patience in my life? I think there's a couple things. I just want to look at one verse together. One verse, and I do not have it mastered. So I'm telling you, if you have an expectation, if you're checking out Southbridge and you think you need pastors to be perfect, like they need to be living out everything they preach, I'm telling you, I'm a crazy work in process. So here we go. Look at the scripture in Psalm verse chapter 130. Psalm is in the middle of your Bible. If you're new to the Bible, don't be ashamed of that. Turn to the middle, find Psalm, and look for number 130, chapter 130. There's two things I want to point out and what you can do, and you can start practicing to participate in creating an environment where patience will begin being rooted in your heart. Patience with people, patience with circumstances, patience with your future, what God is doing, and patience with the Lord, of course. So Psalm 130, verse 5, the key verse but I'm going to read the whole chapter for you, but only verse 5 will be shown on the screen. Here's the whole chapter, starting in verse 1. This is a song of ascent. This is a song, this is a song that would be sung on the road and on the way, on the way up. And these, these are songs of hope and cries out for hope. Here's, here's how it reads. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to, to my cry for mercy. I've called, you've answered. See, the songs we sing today are directly related to everything we're saying today. That's normal for us. If you, O Lord, keep a record of sins, O Lord, how could stand? Who could stand? Love keeps no record of wrongs, 1 Corinthians 13. But with you there is forgiveness, and therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. 
and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman waiting for the morning, a watchman on the tower of, of, of the land, a watchman on the tower of the castle, if you will, looking down and waiting and watching. More than the watchman wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. But verse 5 is this key verse. I think that if we could steal from the psalmist and implant in our lives and start practicing a discipline of these two ideas, you'll find that patience will begin rooting in your heart and you'll have patience with others, even when they're unlovely. And patience with circumstances and uncertainty in your future and chiefly with the Lord. The verse again is, I will wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I hope. The first point then, the first thing that you can start doing, and it sounds like a stop doing, but start doing is to wait. Wait for the Lord. Who likes to wait? Raise hands. No one? Okay. Who likes to get in long lines at the amusement park? Nobody. Waiting is very difficult, isn't it? I can tell you this, that in my home, we experience the difficulty of this over and over again. My oldest, who's eight, asks on certain days about the pool, going to the pool together. As a family, and Saturday is usually the day that we <coughs> find our way to the pool. And I can tell you this, that it is not an exaggeration when I say that if we're going to the pool at nighttime for a nighttime swim, if Mia doesn't ask me maybe 20 or 30 times in a day. Are we going to the pool? Do you think we'll get time to go to the pool? Hey, Daddy, I have a question for you. Do you think it's possible that we might go to the pool? All these different cute ways to do it. And I get it because she's just like me. Christmas time for me, going to my parents all night. Is it time for presents? 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 Maybe there's a different way I say it. The emphasis on the syllable will make it work for me. It's, and I see her in me. And so when we've promised that we're going, when I've made a promise that we're going, this is what, eventually what I do. This is, I don't know if this is a good parent technique or not. You can email me your hate mail later. But I do this. I'll tell her, Mia, you have, I've said we're going. And you're going to have to trust me. Ian, if you ask me again if we're going, then we're not going to go. <laughs> and then you just see, like, she has to decide if my word is true. <laughs> Should I ask one? I just, she thinks that by asking again that that will create more hope, but her hope has to be found in my faithfulness of telling the truth up to this point. And guess what? I'm a perfect dad. And it's the same for us with the Lord. I struggle with patience. I've shared with the church before about our pursuit. Amanda and I are in this pursuit of adopting a baby boy. We've named him Titus Alexander, which means guardian and defender. Ugh, like the master of the universe. And he is seven months younger than our youngest. We have four children at home right now. He's seven months younger than him, but he's significantly larger. And I have great hopes for him. And I can tell you this has been an 11-month journey. I know some of you that have adopted before have been in like three-year journeys and longer and I can tell you there's been times at night where I'm laying on my side, Amanda's fast asleep because she's got all these gifts perfectly, of course. And I have heat resonating off my back over anxiety over what might be happening to him. See, I have no promise in Scripture that we're receiving him. But I, have a, I feel like I have a command in the Lord to pursue. The Lord's worked out so much and friends have enabled us to obey financially. It's been crazy. Will I trust in him? Will I trust in him with my future? And over and over again, I ask, and I can tell you this, that peace washes over me when I trust in him, and what's happening is patience is happening. So now August 7th, we've been given the day, August 7th, that we get to go and receive him. It's almost here. But I can tell you this, I've lived a life of wishing days away. So right now, I can't wait till August 7th, like a child. If my daughter's grown up, she might be like, I'm trying to save her from myself. 
but I might wish days away. Can't wait till August 7th. Can't wait till August 7th. But what might the Lord have from now until August 7th? What might he have for me and the babies here or me and my friends at church or me in the city or someone at the Burger King? What could he have? See, I've lived a life of wishing time away. When I was in middle school, couldn't wait to be in high school. High school, college. College can't be out. Can't wait to get married. Married can't wait to the kids. Kids can't wait till they walk. Walk, I don't want them to walk. And I've never met someone who's a senior saint, who's someone who is one of our senior adults that wished that they wouldn't have wished time. I, I don't think they look back and say, I wish I had less time. But I've had a practice of this. And what that is, it's a, it's a patience issue. Because I want what I want when I want it. And I think I know what's best for me because I'm pretty smart. 19 on my ACT, by the way. Not very smart. So what you have to do is wait on the Lord. And waiting for the Lord is an Old Testament way of describing the opposite of impatience. Waiting for the Lord is the opposite of running ahead of the Lord, and it's the opposite of bailing out on the Lord. It's staying in your appointed place while he says stay, and then moving forward at the rate that he says to move forward, when he says to move forward. It's a trust issue, though. If you've got control issues, write that down. You probably need the Spirit's patience. So what, an area, what areas in your life right now are you waiting for the Lord? Are you waiting for a spouse to come to know Christ? See, waiting in yourself is different than waiting in the Lord. Waiting in yourself is reasoning and planning and scheming how you're going to make your thing happen. But waiting for the Lord is different because your mind is now on him. And when is he going to come through? And what would he like to have happen? Very different, isn't it? Are you waiting for a wayward child to come home? Are you waiting for a job and you've been without a job for two years? Are you waiting on him? That will develop patience. He's worthy of waiting. Why wait on God? Because patience is further developed and strengthened by resting in God's perfect will and timing. Look at this scripture. You might know this one in your heart. Psalm 37, and we got to fly here. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways. Does that happen to you? Do you get bothered when evil men and women succeed? When they carry other wicked schemes, verse 8, refrain from anger, do not turn from wrath, do not fret. It only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. There's a blessing in waiting. God's doing something in you. Don't miss it. Don't wish it away. Are you ever tempted to stop waiting on God? Are you ever tempted into thinking that he's not around or seeing or hearing you? When your life isn't going how you planned or how you thought it was going to work, your goals and dreams, and you think, Lord, where, where are you? We usually are tempted to impatience at that point. And we're usually tempted to act on our impatience in one of two ways. Write these down if you want, then we'll get back to the second point on how to create an environment where pe- uh, patience can be developed. The first way that we're tempted to cease waiting for the Lord is this. We decide to give up. If I'm not going to get what I want, God, if you're not going to make happen for me what I want to have happen, if you're, if you're going to place obstacles and frustrations in front of me, that I'm not in it. I'm going to do what I want to do. We decide to give up. An example of this would be longing to be reconciled with someone, like a family member or a spouse or maybe even a coworker, And you know that they claim to be a believer, let's say, and you know you're a believer. You know that God's into reconciliation and he wants you to wait on that. But after a certain amount of time, you've decided that you've waited long enough. And you have friends that come around and you say, you know what, you need to look out for yourself. You need to make sure that you're happy. Take care of yourself. And so what you do is you go, you give up on God's best idea of reconciliation to work on your thing. If they're not going to do it, I'm done. You're missing out. You're missing out on waiting for the Lord. You're missing out on cultivation of patience. And your friends and Christian friends will think you're crazy. 
because they, don't, they might not practice this. And you're opposite of their practice, and so they feel like they have to confront you. <laughs> They're really talking to themselves. A faithful friend who can find. We're also then another way that we're tempted onto impatience to act on impatience is we decide to try to make it happen on our own. A, a big example of this is, um, is a marriage example. I can't tell you how big of a heart I have for our single adults in our church, men and women, the ones that long to be married. And I can tell you that God's idea of marriage is best, and it's best when everyone in that marriage knows Christ. And I can tell you that over and over again, what we see is that a lot of people, over time, loneliness strikes in, and they start getting impatient with the Lord that God will never bring someone, so they have to take matters into their own hands, and they start compromising. And so they know that God should have them to be with someone that loves the Lord, but this person doesn't love God, but they believe that God exists. They believe that a God exists, or that there are many ways to heaven, or they believe I exist, or they like me, <laughs> or they're lonely too. See the difference? See the issue there? We're going ahead of God. We're running, in a sense, without him. Now there's hope. You can, there's always hope of repentance and joining back and being back on his pace. But these are ways we're tempted to just give up or we're tempted to make our thing happen on our own. See, we're tempted to be impatient when we start to doubt the wisdom of God's timing and the goodness of his guidance. We're tempted to be impatient in these ways. But, but, but patience then is a willingness to wait for God in the place that he's led you and also the willingness to, en- to endure life's struggles and circumstances that God has allowed to come into your life. Did you know this and be blessed by this? That nothing happens to you that doesn't have written or said expressed uh, permission from God? So this is the story of Job again. Did you know the story of Job? And it's, some people think it's so far-fetched that it has to be poetry, but I believe in it, not because I was there, but by faith. I think the Lord's trustworthy. That the Lord has before him the sons of God, the scriptures say, and somehow Satan is also there. And I don't know how that's possible, but Satan's there. And God says to Satan, hey, have you ever considered my servant Job? He's blameless, fears the Lord, and shuns evil. God's bragging on Job. This is nuts, isn't it? And Satan says, he's only like this because you give him stuff. And so God gives permission to take his stuff, but you can't kill him. Why does Satan obey? I don't know if it's an obedience issue, maybe he doesn't have an ability, he doesn't have a permission issue to take Job's life. But nothing got to Job without God's permission. So that would mean that in the middle of your hardest circumstance in your life, that you can have the confidence and the trust to know that God allowed it into your life and that he's present. And he doesn't think that you can handle it on your own, he thinks he can handle it. That will help cultivate patience in the midst of that storm. Are you in a storm? What are you waiting for the Lord on right now? What's the thing? See, don't hurry past the waiting. God is up to something. And in the midst of whatever you're waiting for the Lord for, trusting in him and he's grow, trust in him that he's growing you. And he'll even use the circumstances in your life to develop his character in your life to undo your control issues and your anxiety issues and to implant his spirit more and more in your life. This is why James writes that um, trials develop perseverance. See, and I'm still, uh, I'm still wanting to be convinced. I, I'm still wanting to be convinced that a life without trial would be, I, I think that's better than a life with trial. But the Lord is in control. He's really smart. So the first thing we can do to partner with the Holy Spirit is to give way to cultivating patience in our life is to wait. In the same verse, then, we see a second way. Look at it again. Another way to help create an environment. Look at that same verse. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And soul wait is all of your being. 
It means no mind racing to try to figure out and scheme. And that's going to take a discipline on your part and on my part that maybe we're not used to. I want to challenge you this. Try each day over the next week to take one minute where you sit still and just consider the Lord. In one minute. Not 53 seconds opening that microwave. The whole minute. Not to gain God's grace, of course, but to get to know him. To pr- you're starting to practice a discipline of, of waiting. Volitionally. <laughs> waiting. Here's the second. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord and then I hope in his word. See, what will get you through in times of waiting is hope. And hope is, of the, is, is by is the spirit of God and it will strengthen your waiting ability. The source of hope is the word of God, the Lord himself. So the practical way to develop hope in your life because your hope comes in the word of God is then to get to know God, which really then informs how you read the Bible. I challenge you this week, don't read God's word to see where it sprinkles onto your life and where it applies to your life. Apply your life to God's word. See, God's word, and he's the standard. He's, he's the fixed one. Our lives are like, we're here today, gone tomorrow. So don't read God's word as, where does it fit? Oh, that's not for me, this one's for me. No, no. It's it, and then you, okay? A book to add to your library is called Eat This Book, which is a reference to Revelation where John was supposed to eat this revelation. I think it's by Eugene Peterson who wrote um, the paraphrase of Scripture, the message. It'll show you and talk to you about how to take in God's word in new ways. We hope in his word. And so how can I grow in my hope ability and my weight ability? Get to know God. You already know your circumstances. You already know what you wish would be. (laughs) You don't have to think about those anymore. You got those mastered. You've got your plans But sure hope comes when you stop focusing on you and start focusing on God. So hope is a faith about the future. And that's why Hebrews says this, that faith is assurance of things and hoped for. We cannot have patience unless we have the knowledge of God, unless we have faith or trust in God and hope in him. It's impossible. And the truth is this, loved ones, that God is trustworthy with your circumstances. He loves you. He loves the people that are the most difficult for you to love and he'll help you love them. He'll help you see people as you see them. Anybody get bothered with Facebook and all the things that people post on there and you feel like you have to defend things and say this and say that and change those people, make those people behave this way? All that leaves. All that dissipates. The anger is removed towards your brothers and sisters in Christ who say things that you don't like and you see them as God sees them. And you will come aside and you will have opportunity to speak in a way that lifts up. You will have opportunity to preach the truth when God gives you that appointed time. But your view of them changes because God's implanted patience in you to see them as he sees them, a sheep without a shepherd. Just like he sees you. <laughs> see, you can trust God with your difficult circumstances or the difficult people in your life. You can trust that he's mindful of your future as much as you are but he has the power and the ability to control all things. For in him and by him all things were created and have their being. And by him all things are held together. The scriptures say that we are in his righteous right hand. Right hand means strength. Whose hand would you rather be in? Your own or his? Depends what day, huh? A part of patience for the Christian is trusting that God, that what God has promised, he will perform. You can write that down. 
A part of being a Christian is trusting that what God promises he will perform. And he will. And there's a benefit to trusting in that. Here's a couple scriptures to encourage you while you wait. <laughs> to know that waiting's not in vain. Ready? This first one's from Isaiah chapter 40. You might have this one in your heart. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar like wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I didn't know this passage was related to patience. I revisited it this week. I thought, I'm not really into nature. This one never really moved me. People like to put this like on magnets and have them in their house and stuff. Pastors receive a lot of church gifts, so we get these verses like on magnets and ties for ourselves. I'm like, I'm not really into nature. I don't know. This is a waiting thing. This is a waiting promise. The promise there is that that waiting is your, to your benefit. That patience on the Lord is to your benefit. In those three the scriptures at the end, like pa- that you'll run and that you'll fly and these things, that's actually the, what you experience in your heart when patience and peace come and rule and reign in your heart. I can tell you that as I practice trying to hand things over to the Lord by talking to him about my greatest concerns and anxieties, especially like with the adoption, I can tell you that I've had the feeling of that lifted. It's, it's done and I had a significant anxiety issues a couple weeks ago in relationship to people that were being unkind. And I can tell you that uh, when I ask God to help me see them as he sees them, he implants his patience. I don't have to defend myself or anything. <laughs> I don't have to be liked. Because <laughs> I'm loved by him. Here's another promise from Isaiah 49 related to, related to patience. Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens will your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. This is to God's people. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Another version of that is this. Those that hope in me will not be put to shame. A way of saying that, a Toby way of saying that in 2012 would be, um, you'll never regret trusting in God. You'll never think to yourself, oh, I shouldn't have banked my stuff on God. I shouldn't have put my chips down on God. Ah. Should have gone with myself on that one. You'll never think that. So God's word informs actually us how to wait, what happens while we wait, and what God's up to while we wait. Patience requires that whenever things go differently than we envision or wish, that we believe that God is working on things for good, that's Romans chapter eight, that he will complete all good things he started, meaning you don't have to complete the work he began, which is what I believed for many years. God began a good work in me. Jason worked hard to make sure that gets done. Make sure you get these impossible things done by yourself. My anxiety is really rooted in that I won't perform well. And ultimately, I'm, I'm worried about performing well because I want to be loved. But the gospel informs me that I am loved, regardless of my performance. And that's where patience can come in then. I don't have to be ang- anxious or, ang- or worked up about anything. He started a work in you who complete it and that we can trust him because our, underst- our understanding is incomplete and inaccurate at best. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. A waiting passage. So who could use some of this? It was at a cost. It cost Christ um, his life, but he rose again. And so it's free to you. Who needs to, rec- who needs to repent from going ahead of God or quitting on his mandate? He's ready. He's ready to receive you. He's been waiting. Trust in the Lord. He is your hope. Take time to get to know him and just wait. Let's pray. Lord, for this morning, thank you. 
Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for each person here and the circumstances they face or the people that are difficult for them to love and be patient with, Lord, with the, with the fear of future, Lord. I ask, God, that you will implant your patience at your pace for, for your glory. God, help us to love one another well. Help us to be a church that's united so that we can get about and be about the work of seeing this city come to know you. And Lord, I just ask that you would um, go ahead of us this week and prepare a way. We, Lord, our trust issues aren't your problem. You are trustworthy. You've not done anything to make us doubt. We just doubt. And we're sorry. Collectively, I say on our behalf, Lord, that we're sorry and we confess that to you. Lord, we know that you're trustworthy. We believe. Help us with our unbelief. And Lord, we ask that you would root yourself deeply in us, that uh, we may live for the sake of others and for your glory alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.